you very much. I do wear shirts other times. Just let that be officially publicly known. Um, yeah. Do you know why I don't wear shirts more often? I'll just tell you. I'll tell you at home too. Because they need ironing. T-shirts don't need ironing, do they? Generally. Get them straight out of the wash, hang them up, flick them out on a hanger, leave them somewhere. They're all right. Shirts. Mm, pesky. Pesky shirts are. Anyway. Heaven's hope. Number four, I can see you've all got your Bibles and your notebooks out. That's amazing. If you haven't got a Bible, there are some out there. If you just kind of go into that corner, someone will intercept you and pass you a Bible. There was a um, Sunday school teacher of old who was doing a drawing and asking the children to work out who it was that they were drawing before they finished the drawing. So the children sat staring at this sort of flip chart as the teacher, the Sunday school teacher, began to draw. So she started by drawing this sort of roundish face and then a a, a big set of ears and, and then some whiskers and a hand shot up in the front row and this little girl was asked to give her answer. And she said, well, it looks like a rabbit, but I think the answer's supposed to be Jesus. And the thing about Colossians, this book that we're looking at at the moment, is all about Jesus. Like, it is the centrality of who Jesus is in the whole of mankind. Um, And very much so, he is central in this book, too. So... um, We'll just very quickly flick through these slides, but we have done them, so you can catch back up on them at some point. We're not even really going to look at them. There you go. It's Colossi. It's in modern-day Turkey. Brilliant. That's that one done. Um, it's a le- letter written to the church in Colossi, Colossi, Colossae. There's lots of different ways. Depends what mood you're in. No one really cares. It doesn't really matter. Uh, the author was almost definitely Paul, super church planter Paul, as we call him. And look, the theme of the book, the all-sufficiency of Jesus, particularly counteracting heresies that were present at the time. So last week, oh, oh yeah, I did that slide in this morning. Let's leave it on there for a minute. I've got a new slide that says last week. For those of you at home and in the room, last week, a new slide added in. Um, Chris ended up doing this, this passage that had so much in it. It said, um, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In him all things were created, things in heaven on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. It's like, Jesus! That's what the passage really was. And actually, it was a poem, as as, as it was mentioned. It was a poem and like a song, rather than meant to be this sort of prose. Uh, Beautiful. It's great. And then... Scorching into this week, we have this. And today we have just three verses. Just three verses. So I'm going to read them to you. By all means, follow them in your Bibles. Follow them on the screen. um, And I will read them to you. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, 
have become a servant. So I'm going to spend an inordinate amount of time on verse 1 in this section. In verse 21, I've highlighted it for you in case you couldn't find it. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Now, Paul is writing to the church in Colossae. So we have to remember that, but we also know that the things that Paul is saying to that church absolutely are for us now too. So Paul is writing to them and saying, you were once alienated, well we know what that means, disconnected from God, and you were enemies in your minds, an enemy of God, because of our evil, because of your evil behaviour. Now, there was a context for them, and we're going to look at this one first very quickly, which was, the, the world was basically split into two groups of people at that time, Jews and Gentiles. So God was the God of the Jews, and his whole aim was, I'm coming and I'm using the Jews as my chosen people, and effectively, I'm going to model what it's like for them to have me as their father. And then the idea is, eventually, that the world, the rest of the world will be invited. God's aim was that the world would see his goodness in his relationship with the Jews, and then everyone else would want in. That was, that was his aim. Post-cross, the invitation got spread far, far wider. And Gentiles, basically meaning non-Jews, basically everybody else, were invited in. They were in. Paul spent a lot of time going and speaking to Gentiles, non-Jews. And so he's saying to them, look, you were once alienated. In their minds, they would have thought, yeah, we know we were alienated because he was the God of the Jews. We're non-Jew. So therefore, we're alienated. We're disconnected. He's not our God. And Paul's saying to them, you were alienated, but you're not anymore. Because of what happened on the cross, Gentiles weren't on the map, but you're now on the map. This is good news. So you were alienated from God. And this is what they would have heard, but this isn't really entirely what Paul's saying. He's really saying... It's the en- you are the enemy of God because of your minds, because of your thought patterns, because of your lifestyle. So let's see if any of this fits for us now. If only we could realise now how desperate our state is. One of the greatest works, I think, of the enemy is to blind us to our need to be saved. How deep the sin and the pain goes in our lives. So often, even when we offer kindness to people, it's so rarely actually truthfully from a pure heart. So often from it's, a, it's from a need to rescue or a need to feel validated. How blind we can be to our own pride. We lean so much into self-sufficiency instead of leaning into his all-sufficiency. In Proverbs it says this, trust in the Lord completely. Don't rely on your own opinions. 
With all your heart, rely on him to guide you, and he will lead you in every decision you make. Become intimate with him in whatever you do, and he will lead you wherever you go. Don't think for a moment that you know it all. For wisdom comes when you adore him with undivided devotion and avoid everything that's wrong. Now, I don't know about you. I am, I am nowhere near there in my own efforts. We can find that our identity becomes shaped by the culture. And we become the tail when God has called us to be the head. We end up following the culture instead of setting the culture. Truth. What is truth? Who is truth? So much these days, truth has stopped being an absolute. It's not a thing. It's not a person. Instead, it's a reality that exists, well, each to their own. That's truth to me. Well, that's truth to me. Yeah, but it, but it isn't true. It's true to me. Each person has become so empowered, which you would think is a good thing, but the empowerment that people have received just enables them to continually be making their own choices all the time. I'll just, make, I'll just do whatever pleases me. As long as it doesn't upset anyone else. Do you know what? Even if it does upset someone else, so what? It's their problem. I can even make those decisions over unborn babies. We lose the sense that we are designed, we are shaped, we are fashioned. We've been created to live in an interpersonal relationship with not just a deity, but the deity, with Father God, and to respond accordingly. So often we just do what seems right in our own eyes, trying to just, trying to make us happy. But it's like, Candy floss happiness, it's, it, it's not really anything there. You squash it down and it, a couple of bites and it's gone. It's not deep-seated joy and purpose. We wrestle, we strive, we duck out, we lash out, we rebel, we deny, we lie to ourselves, we cover up. This is just my week. We look decent and presentable, but we pursue anything we can to fill that hole that gnaws away on the inside of every one of us. We numb our guilt, we hide with shame, and the weight of it all can sometimes be utterly overpowering. The writer of Ecclesiastes, a book in the Old Testament, he comes straight to the point. Chapter 1, verse 1. It's just meaningless. It's all meaningless. We can lose ourselves for hours in shopping or gaming or collecting things, cleaning, Netflix, alcohol, cigarettes, socialising. We're trying desperately to anaesthetise. Sin which is what is at the heart of this all, is not like a, I love this word, piffling nuisance. It's not just like a bit of an irritation, 
like a dead insect in the middle of your windscreen. It's diabolical. It's destructive. It's like a foul fatberg that blocks our relationship with Father. And when we dwell in sin for a while, the stench of it gets in our hair and in our clothes. The only possible outworking of staying in this life is death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. If you stay in this, that's where it's not a road to nowhere, it's a road to there. It's a road that leads to death. It's the only possible consequence and natural outworking. The path we are on leads just to destruction and death. But it's worth noting, and we're still in this first verse, it's worth noting that God's plan was never death. That was never his intention, never his heart. It says, just as sin, this is in Romans chapter 5, therefore just as sin entered the world through one man. Not through God, it wasn't God's plan. Sin entered the world through one man and then death came through sin. The consequence of the sin, the outworking, the iniquity of that sin. And in this way, death came to all people because essentially we are born into that heritage. Evidence of this death, this decay is all around. There's crime, abuse, online vitriol, people trafficking, Cybercrime, sickness, disease, relentless pursuit of pleasure. After all, I deserve to be happy. I'm just going to do what makes me happy. For the first time in my life, I'm going to do something for me that makes me happy. Anger can bubble just under the surface. And it explodes in shopping queues or out of car windows at roundabouts. And junctions. Depressed yet? We seriously should be. Because this is the condition of humanity without God. The Colossians and us, before we know him, were enemies of God. Well, I I never had him for God. I, I, I consider myself agnostic rather than atheist. Good for you. There are probably some atheists who are closer to the kingdom of God than agnostics. In truth. At least they bother to come up with an opinion. That's good. So anyway, the Colossians and us were enemies of God, living in a way through nature and nurture that is opposed to the way God wants us to live. And Paul's saying to them, your enemies, because you don't even know him, you're just living for yourselves. You're just living, sure, the best that you can do, but you're not living from him. You're not living for him. You're essentially an enemy of that way because you've been born into the enemy of God, which is death. You've been born into death. This is why Ecclesiastes, the writer of Ecclesiastes said, it's just meaningless. And then we have this wonderful bit where Paul changes. In just that one sentence, there's this whole weight of the depravity and the desperation of humankind 
and its need for a saviour. Let's never think we don't need saving. We desperately, desperately need saving. And Paul says you are alienated from God. You are enemies in your minds because of your, because of your evil behavior, because of the things you went after. And then Paul writes two words. And because of this, this whole section tips over. It pivots Indeed, the story of humanity hinges about these two words. But now. But now. You were alienated from God. You were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now. It's something that Paul writes a lot. And if we were in a Pentecostal church right now, there would be hankies being waved and whoops and hallelujahs. But now. In fact, I would do a talk on but now. I would get my hanky out. I would mop my brow and I would be leaping up and down because but now. We were alienated from God. We were miles from him. The massive fatberg of sin, which is absolutely gross, was in between us. But now. Jesus reconciled us to him to be reconnected to be recompatible to become friends by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight so we've said about this before but it is so worth saying again because this is the good news This is what the good news is. This deserves the but now. This is what Paul is saying. You can't do this without Jesus. There's not a load of roads that lead to heaven. There is one road. And it's not human effort. And it's not any other religion. In fact, it's probably not any religion. It's Jesus. He is the only way. And Jesus came to us in our desperate state. And he said... I am going to take all the punishment, all the consequence, if you like, of the sin, of the death. I am going to take the consequence of that that road that you're going down, the evil behavior route. The consequence of it is death. The wages of sin is death. That is the end of the road. I'm going to go to the end of the road. I am going to take that for you. And so now you can take a different junction at the Y junction. And instead, you can walk in the road that leads to life all the time. Forever. Yes, Chris, that is such great news. So we don't have to fear the death anymore because death has been swallowed up in victory, the Bible says. More great news. It says, for since death came through a man, this is in 1 Corinthians 15, if you're writing it down, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. This is why you had the first Adam who brought death. Jesus is referred to as the second Adam because he brought life. It's like it started off really well. Chapter 1, Genesis, chapter 1, and just went down and down and down and down. Jesus comes and it's going back that way. And one day it will get back to more like this state. And so we're living like this. We're here somewhere. I don't know how near there we are. 
The Bible says in Isaiah 53, the punishment that brought us peace is on him. Let's make that more personal. The punishment that brought me peace is on him. He took it. He said, I'm even going to take your sickness. It was prophesied, said before it had happened, by Jesus' stripes, we are healed. And then you get into later on in the, in the New Testament, right near the end of the Bible, and it looks back and says, by Jesus' stripes, you were healed. Well, I don't feel very healed. But you are healed. We're coming on to that in a minute. There was a song around, we don't really sing it here, but it was around in the 80s. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, the just, is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Isn't that amazing? So when God looks at us, he doesn't see the fatberg of sin. Because that's been dealt with. It's been dealt with for everyone. But it's only when we come to Jesus and start on that relationship with him that we are born again, that we enter into a new life. I'm a saint. I'm a saint. I, do I sin? Yes. I'm not a sinner. I gave up that identity. Jesus took that identity to the cross for me. I'm not a sinner anymore and neither are you. And nor are you a worm, and nor are you rubbish, and nor are you all those other things that we so often speak over ourselves, myself included. God looks and he sees Jesus. That's what he sees. We are seen as holy, flawless, restored. Now listen, we are and we're not yet. We are citizens of heaven and we're citizens of earth. So am I healed? Yes, Do I see all that healed in me? Not yet. I see some of it. I think there's more now than there is not yet. So do I feel like this all the time? No. But does it stop it being true? No. It's true. I am a citizen of heaven. When I said yes to Jesus and realized that he'd gone down that path, taken that consequence for me, When I said yes to him over that, he said, and you're a citizen of heaven. You right now are seated in heavenly places. Isn't that amazing? Well, it doesn't look like it. It looks like you're stood in a warehouse. Yes, it's both. Dual personality was God's idea. The enemy's stolen it and ruined people with it. But God says, you've got dual citizenship. You can see with the eyes of your heart, you are seated in heavenly places and you're stood here on earth. Both are true. Okay, we're getting there. So after 20 years of shaving himself every morning, a man in a small southern town decided it had enough. He told his wife he intended to let the local barber shave him each day. He put on his hat and coat and went to the barber shop, which was owned by the, ta- the pastor of the local town's Baptist church. The barber's wife, Grace, was working that day, so she performed the task. She shaved him, sprayed him with some lilac water and said, that'll be 20 quid. The man thought, well, that's a bit pricey, but okay. And he paid the bill and went to work. 
The next morning, the man looked in the mirror and his face was as smooth as it had been the day before. Not bad. At least I don't have to shave every day. Next morning, again, man went in front of the mirror, looked, his face was still as smooth as it was. This went on for weeks. And after three weeks or so, the man was still unable to find any trace of any whiskers anywhere on his face. It was more than he could take. So he went back to the barber shop. He said, I thought 20 quid was really pricey for a shave, but this is incredible, he told the barber's wife. You have done an amazing job. It's been three weeks and my whiskers still haven't even started growing back. The expression on her face didn't even change, expecting the comment. She responded, you were shaved by grace. Once shaved, always shaved. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Anyway, so <laughs> there, there is this bit that goes on. I know it's terrible, isn't it? You can have it for free. All right, you can have it for free. So he says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Hence, once saved, always saved. Is it true? I don't know. But why take the chance? Why say yes to Jesus when you're 15 or when you're 22 and then not live for him the rest of your life and hope that you scrape in? I think you're missing the point. That's not what he longs for us. I will commit on this one. Once saved, always saved. I don't know. I'm so glad it's not my decision. I think it honestly is the wrong question to be asking. Totally the wrong question to be asking. Do we have the freedom to step out of the Father's hand? Yes, I think we do. Because we always have that freedom. Actually, in Luke 15, in the parable of the prodigal son, you see the son comes to the father, offends him by asking for his inheritance before the dad's even dead, goes off in wild living, What does the dad do? Wait. He doesn't go after him. The dad waits. And we have a father who waits. So can we walk out of the father's hand? Yes. Can we walk out of the scope of his love? No. I don't think so. Where can I go from your presence? Said David in the Psalms. If I go up to the heights, you're there. Down to the depths, you're there. Even to the farthest sea, I find you. So we will be presented to God and we already have been holy, without blemish, free from accusation. And it will happen again when, when we get home. As we sung earlier on, that day will come when we will stand before you. Welcome home, so proud of you, we'll hear Nick and I were once, it's a really hard story to tell without tearing up, but we'll try. Nick and I were once, we went to see the um, Paralympics in 2012 in this country. I didn't really want to go, but Nick persuaded me. And I was told I was not allowed to be grumpy or complain about the cost all day. (laughs) I ummed and heard, went with it in the end. And I have to say, I'm really glad I did. It was amazing. Um, 
Still got the t-shirt, quite literally. But there was a guy, and I think it was the, um, effectively like the blind race, I think it was, where they run around with someone who runs with them. They're connected by a band. So the runners are all visually impaired to the point they can't see where they're going and need someone to guide them. And this one guy, I think he fell over, was what, I think it might have been what happened. I can't quite remember. It was a long race, and he ended up way behind everyone else, and everyone else had finished. Everyone. And the whole track was waiting for this one guy who hadn't finished the race. But had got up, limped his way round kind of thing, carried on, being taken round by this guide. And it's amazing because that guide is like Jesus. He says, I'm right here. And that last lap, it was like, it was like a, a Mexican wave, except it wasn't. But as he, as he got in front of people, the whole stadium stood up. All the way round. This absolute roar of praise for this guy. It was amazing. And when you have that line... And then one day we'll stand before you, welcome home, so proud of you. That's what it is. That's what it is. That's what's waiting in heaven. That's what you're going to get. And you might feel like you limp in and Jesus is kind of connected to you. You know, I think they hold the end of a band, probably red. And Jesus runs us round that last lap of the trek. Amazing. Looking forward to that. No offence. I mean, I love being here with you, but I'm looking, forward to get, I'm looking forward to getting home. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and then given us the ministry of reconciliation. So in other words, in the same way as Jesus has come to us and has reconciled us to God, he says, now you need to go and do likewise. You need to go and find people and help them to reconcile to God. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. How beautiful. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That passage sums up, it's Paul again, and that is actually in um, Corinthians. But that passage sums up what Paul is saying here. He's saying, you have been reconciled. When God looks at, he looks at Jesus and pardons us. All the sin, the consequences of that, the iniquity was laid on Jesus. But we were given the right standing with God that Jesus had, like it's a, a jacket. We're clothed in righteousness. So God looks at us and sees the jacket of righteousness that we've been given. And then God says, now, I've done it for you. Go and do it for other people. This is our job. Let's stand. We're going to pray. We've overrun a bit, but it's exciting.
Let's just close our eyes a minute. I'm going to pray through three things. Some of them might not hit for you, some may. So at home as well, just going to pray, not in a hurry, just going to pray through these things. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Already at work. We thank you, God, for the but now. That you did everything, everything to come and draw us close to you. And the only thing you leave to us is our free will to make that decision. But the work is done. And Jesus, as you hung on the cross, it is finished. I've done it. It's done. No more will humans have to live separated from their God. I pray, Father, first of all, we invite you to show us just how much we need you. God, we don't need you when things are tough. We need you all the time. We don't just need you in our finances when we haven't got money. We need you in our finances when we have got money. We don't just need you when we're at death's door with sickness. We need you in our health too. We need you in our relationships God, we are so sorry for when we go it alone. We never even consciously really say, it's okay, God, I've got this. We just live like we have. God, I want to say sorry for my self-sufficiency and deliberately lean into your all-sufficiency. And lastly, Father, we want to let go of those things we believe about ourselves that don't line up with how you see us. After all, if we're going to keep believing the lies that we believed before, then it's like Jesus died for nothing. I pray for every person who hears this, whether they're in the room, whether they're online, that in this coming week, God, Holy Spirit, you'll nudge us in the ribs. Give us an elbow in the ribs when we speak something about ourselves that doesn't line up with what you say of us. Level two is when we even think it. And God, we give you permission to dig around in our lives and unearth those things that have become so much a part of who we believe ourselves to be that they've gone into the, into the subconscious. We don't even notice that that's what we do or we think. Please, God, dig around. Have a rummage 
get the spotlight on those things. We want to bring them out into the light and say, I will not speak over myself things that you don't speak over me. Thank you, God. I feel that there are people who over this coming week, just keep your eyes closed a minute, over this coming week, there is some business for you that you you need to deal with. It might even be that you've got a good friend or a spouse or something like that. You can speak to them and say, what do I say about myself? What attitudes do you notice in me? I feel like this isn't a now to wrap up the service thing. This is, a, this is a, an ongoing thing. Particularly I see it for this period of seven days. It's like a, it's like a seven day cleansing. If you want to accompany it with fruit shakes, you're welcome, but it's not that kind of a cleansing. God, we want to cleanse our hearts and minds of the attitudes we have towards ourselves that don't line up with what you say about us. And if you're at home or in the room and you've never actually said yes to Jesus, You've never stepped into the life that he's offered you by him having blasted that fatberg of sin out of the way, dealt with the consequences of it, conquered death once and for all, and you've never actually said yes to him and stepped into that relationship with him, then I encourage you to do that right now in this moment. It honestly is the best decision you'll ever make. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.